Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harrison Scott Lees with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast brought to you by Sindoso and Scratchpad and Outreach.io. We are very appreciative of our sponsors this year. Um, this, this may actually be the last episode of the year, Scott, that we record. I haven't checked the calendar. So, it better be the last episode of the year. <laughs> Scott will better just not have booked anything on my calendar next week. There you go. So um, we're super excited to uh, have our guest here today is Katie McPhee. I hope I got the last name right. Uh, and she is the founder and principal of Insights to Action. Um, I think we've kind of all known of each other on LinkedIn for some time, and that's sort of the what got us here. And um, Katie, welcome. We're, we're glad to have you on Surf and Sales. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell everybody, just give people some some context. What is Insight to Action? Maybe get a little context of like, what is your background? So people just know as we go through this, you know, where your, where your frame of reference is. Yeah, sure. So this is Surf and Sales. Sales is like near and dear to my heart. My whole career was in sales, my whole corporate career, which was 18 years. And um, eventually I ended up being a VP sales and an EVP sales. I was in biotech and then I was in SaaS tech. And once I got to the EVP level and I had like, quote, quote, made it, I realized that I didn't really want to be a sales leader after all. So I quit my corporate job and I founded Insights to Action. And the whole goal around Insights to Action is to help more women break through to the executive level. So when I was on my journey, I really struggled with the transition from manager to director to VP. And when I looked around, I couldn't find a lot of mentors that I could turn to and get, and get real tangible advice. I couldn't find a lot of resources that told me what I needed to do to start showing up as a VP. So I really got the feeling that there was like a big gap that exists. And so the whole, that's, that's why I, um, that's why I found it insights to action. And my, like I said, my whole mission is to help more women to successfully make that transition. Okay. So lots of stuff. Um, so you you work through this career, right? This career growth, you had to probably battle harder than the typical white male to get there. And then you get there and you decide you don't like it. What I mean, which is which is a really amazing thing, like to to have that much insight. For you, what did you finally realize that was like, oh, this isn't what it was all cracked up to be? Yeah. It's interesting. So it wasn't. It's not like I had an epiphany and then I quit my job. It was a little messier than that. Um, like messy. Those are good stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's always messy, right? Uh, I guess the event that happened was I burnt out. Okay. So I'm a very determined human being. And so, yes, to your point, I battled a lot on my journey. And I think I always just had this idea in my mind. I just need to get there. I just need to become a VP. It was my goal from my first sales job. So my first entry-level sales job, I looked at my VP, who was totally a six foot three white alpha male. And I was like, oh, I want to be you when I grow up. I just thought he was like amazing. And that was what I wanted to do with my career. And so it took me a really long time to get there. And I'm not sure I really thought about what executive leadership was. It just seemed like a really cool job. And I knew I liked leading people. Um, but as, as you guys can appreciate, there's a lot of administrivia involved at that level. 
And it just really wasn't aligned with who I was and what I got energy from. So like I said, I, I had a burnout event where, you know, I was, I really was struggling like in life. Like it was a, it was a tough time. I was pretty fragile. Like I was really unhappy and it was so bizarre because I was looking at my life on paper and I'm like, it's perfect. And yet I'm like, I'm really miserable. I'm really unhappy. So I ended up doing a lot of soul searching and, you know, digging into what are the things that light me up? What do I really care about? If I could do anything in the world, what would it be? And I realized that the free mentor calls I was doing on the side were the thing that excited me the most. And so I thought if I could turn this into what I got to do for my day job. That would be amazing. Um, and so that's what I did. And like, I mean, it was super, it was really scary. It took me a little bit of time to like really work through. Am I actually going to do this? Am I going to throw away my corporate career? Um, and there was a lot of fear, you know, around that and, and just like fear of what people would think and if I would be judged. Um, but at the end of the day, I thought like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is I have no clients and I do a lot of yoga for the next year. So that, that's really the mind frame I was in. I knew I couldn't keep going on the, you know, on the track that I was on. And so it was at that point worth the risk. What are, what are the things that, um, what, I'm trying to figure out what are the things that you now offer that were not available to you? Right. And do you think it's, and, and I, I think I know the answer. Some of it could and should be exclusive to women, but do you also think it just didn't exist for anybody as they build their career? Yeah. So yes, I, I, I think there's a lack of, I don't say resources, but like people can do an MBA and they can read business books, but there's not a lot of like really tangible advice out there for anyone who's trying to become an executive just around how do I start thinking more strategically? How do I show up with, you know, quote, quote, executive presence? You know, how do I, how do I demonstrate leadership skills? All of these like sort of vague concepts that we tend to recognize in really great leaders, but there's, there's just not a lot out there, I think for men or women yeah. that, that tells them like, you know, what does that look like? How do I actually develop these things? And so initially, actually, when I launched Insights to Action, I wasn't sure I was going to be working exclusively with women. I thought I'm going to work with sales leaders that are trying to figure it out. And then as I started to build my business and as I started to post online, actually, this was, this was something else that just taught me a lot about what I cared about and what I got excited writing about. I realized that I was really passionate specifically about helping women. And although I think there's a lack of resources across the board, I think with women specifically, there's a lack of, of mentors available to them. So I thought, you know, I could provide them with some tangible sort of skill building stuff. And then I could also provide that mentorship piece that they might be lacking. One of the things that I find super interesting in, in your story is the timeline. So you said 18 years and then it kind of hit you. For me, it was 15 years and, and I can cite loads of other people that are all in this same time range of like between year 15 and year 20. What do you think it is, if anything, about that amount of time doing the things that we've done 
where some of us are like, I got to do something different. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was listening to one of Sam Harris's podcasts that was about happiness, that particular episode. And one of the things they touched on, it wasn't even the main element of the podcast, but it was the thing that I took away was the idea of um, intelligence and how your intelligence changes over time. And there is, I'm going to, I need to like remember the words because I wasn't thinking I was going to talk about this. There's, there's more like, I think it's fluid maybe intelligence. And then there's more of like the wisdom that builds. Okay. And so when we're building our career, we're really strong in terms of this like fluid intelligence, like learning lots of new things, learning new skills. And once we get around like 35, 40, 45, that starts to sort of tap out. And, and the crystallized intelligence, like that, that sort of wisdom piece that we've been building over years and years continues to, to grow. And so I almost wonder whether or not it's not like number of years in career, but the age that we're at where our brains work a little bit differently. Like we tend to shift into more of like a teaching mode, you know, consulting, coaching. So a lot of people go become professors, like all around this sort of time. And so it was funny when I was listening to that podcast, like my jaw dropped, like I was sitting there with my mouth, like a gape because I was like, holy crap. Holy shit. This is exactly what happened to me. Um, and so I think it, I think that might be an element of it. I also wonder if the other thing is we, we tend to put so much into our careers during those years, right? Like our twenties and thirties, I think a lot of us burn ourselves out. And then we start to, a lot of us in our third, late, you know, late thirties or forties start to really, I think, embrace like who we are and what we care about and all these things that like in our twenties, we never even thought about. And so, you know, I think it's a, a, probably a multifaceted thing, but I wonder if those things together kind of all sort of culminate together and then yeah. that's the result. The one interesting anecdote to that is <clears throat> what I'm finding right now is that people are landing in the place that we landed when we were 40 something with 15, 20 years experience, they're landing their way sooner. Yeah. They're there like already having worked someplace for like two, three years, which I find frustrating and fascinating at the same exact time. <laughs> I'm with you on that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to know um, what about sales leadership sucked? Like you got, you got to this place and you're, you know, you're, you're an EVP and you've done that and you're like, I don't want to, I actually don't want to do this. Like, what was it about the role that sucked? And I ask this because everybody focuses on like how badass it would be to be, to be a VP of sales. I got a title, I got money, I got power or whatever. Nobody is ever like, careful what you wish for. So what was it about the role that sucked for you? I mean, I, I have a really good idea because when I was going through this burnout, I made a column. <laughs> What are all the things about my role I love? And what are all the things that like suck the life out of me? Um, so some of the suck the life out of me items were, I would say legal contracts, <laughs> like just having oh to God. deal with, right? Like, I think if you put a red baseball hat on you, we would be the same person. Right? <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like, 
Well, you just put a backwards baseball hat on. You guys have <laughs> How many game. times have I complained about contracts in my life? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, it's I get so that bad. One. Okay. I'm so traumatized that an individual reached out to me who wanted to, to have me in his sort of network as like with my current business as a coach, because he thought, oh, there's so many people who are going to come onto my platform and, and they're looking for this type of thing. And then you can get business through it. And so I said, okay, I'm open to it. And then he sent me <laughs> a big form to fill out and a contract. And I literally told him, no, thank you. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm so scarred by contracts. So that was a big one. Um, I love that. <laughs> I, love that. <laughs> I guess another one, I, I loved working with people. Um, but I also found that the higher up I got, the less I was able to really impact people that were like a couple of layers below me. Yes. And so there was a lot of frustration for me around that, where I was really trying to build like a strong culture, lots of transparency, you know, start with why, like all of that stuff. And yet we had this good office vibe. I don't know if you know office vibe, but people can sort of rate how happy they are with things and everything would seem amazing. We get these office vibe scores back and they would be like four out of 10, like just everything's terrible here. And so that was definitely an element that I found really challenging. Like it, it, it's, it's something that, although I really loved the people leadership aspect, it would cause me a lot of grief. It would cause me a lot of stress because I cared so much about the people in the org. And I, I felt, you know, somewhat helpless in terms of like making their situation better. Um, so that was one. I don't know if that, how common that is. I think that as you, that you get into orgs where there's multiple layers and that becomes a little yeah. more prevalent. Whereas, you know, if you're a VP sales at a startup and there's like 10 people on your team, it might not be a big deal. Um, that was a, that was a huge thing to me because I, I completely relate to that. I felt like I lost the ability to make an impact yeah. on the people that I cared about the most, which was frankly, the people who were younger in their career. I didn't really care about making an impact on the CFO or the CM that, that, that was like not who I related to. Yeah. So I found myself being in more and more meetings and conversations with people where I didn't want to be versus my roots, which is where I really wanted to be. So yeah. super relatable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I even found at the end, I don't know if you found this, but one of the things that I always, that always really drove me was connecting with customers still. Even as I was like an executive, I really enjoyed like feet on the street, going to visit a customer. And that was another thing that kind of went away. Like, you know, the further up you went, you're not really spending time with customers anymore. Like, occasionally, like, you know, you have to reach out to the rep. Hey, I really want to get on some customer calls with you. And then they're kind of like worried because, you know, the VPs on the call and, they, you know, they're feeling a little bit nervous. So, yeah, I guess it was when I really thought about it, I wonder if I would have gone through all of the grief to get there had I known what I was signing up for. And there was things I loved, like I actually loved the strategy building, which was interesting because that was one of the things that, that uh, when I was trying to become a VP, I kept being told I wasn't strategic, <laughs> which, which was vague and hurtful. Um, but but interestingly, like I love the strategy sessions. I love building the strategy. Like I actually found it really interesting. Um, but a lot of like, you know, a lot of the the meetings, the administration, all of that stuff, I think was a stuff that, that really kind of did me in. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into something you just said, which is 
those things that are vague and hurtful with this, right? Because, and this happens, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it too. Um, and I get a sense that you're fairly tactical like me um, in trying to get stuff done. I think that's the stuff that hurts a lot of people, you know, and for, and for whatever reason, you, you sort of found a way to ignore it. For those who are listening, what are those, if you can think of them, what are the other vague things mm. that you get that's like, okay, but you're not helping me figure it out either. So therefore you suck as a leader, right? So yeah, and, and, so, and trying to figure out what those things are so that we can help other people learn or ask about them when they hear it. Yeah, I would say like the big three that I hear are strategic, like you're not strategic. Uh, you need better leadership presence. And I wanna see more innovation. Like those are three things that when I, that I, when I hear them from my clients, I'm just like face palming because I, I mean, when I, you know, depending on the mood I'm in, like, sometimes I'm like, that's just lazy. That's lazy feedback. You're not helping the person to get better. And sometimes I think that, that the leader who's providing the feedback maybe doesn't fully understand how to, you know, instruct someone on, on getting better. So there might be an element of that to it. I don't think it's always intentional. So let's say, you, let's say, you know, I was a leader and I was coming to you because I was being told that I wasn't showing up with the right leadership presence. Right. right. How do you, how do you coach someone to that? Cause I think I, I think people hear this a lot. I think yeah. I've heard it a lot. Um, so what, what does someone do when they get that feedback? That's so vague. How do they improve that? Yeah. So I've kind of designed my own framework around this because, because like I said, I haven't found anything. And when I, when I hear feedback like that, typically I'm like, okay, we need to work on, on how you're presenting yourself as a strategic leader, basically people's perception of you. Right. And so oftentimes I'll coach people on how are they framing things? How are they communicating ideas to people? What language are they using? Like, what do their slides look like? Like we'll get right into it because it's, I, to me, it's often all these like little nuanced things that create a perception with people. And what comes out of their mouth is like, you, you need better leader, leadership presence. But what they mean is you're not showing up as confident and decisive and you're not, you're not communicating your ideas in the way that we expect you to at this level. So Often I think it's it's around that stuff. One of the, the big ones that I often identify with folks in sales, especially because we present lots of metrics. If you're just presenting the numbers and you're stopping there, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. So I, I always talk about like moving from presenting metrics to presenting insights where the metrics are the what, right? And most people will stop at the what. They'll be like, these are the numbers. This was the growth over last quarter, or this was the growth over last month or whatever it was. And then that's it. And I always say, okay, well, you've done the what. So next, dig into the why. Why are you seeing this trend? Is it something in the market? Is it something with the team? Is it something with the product? Like chances are, if you really dig into it, you can get some more insight. And the last one is the how, which is how do you use this information to create growth with the company or to pivot the strategy or whatever it might be. So it's just like going those couple of layers deeper that can, you can either be presenting the numbers and showing up one way, or you could actually do a, a really strong analysis and people's perception of you 
will immediately shift. I think that's really good because I think I was very good at presenting the numbers. I always, I always said that I was, by the time I got done crunching the numbers, because I'd go through an Excel or whatever, I was too exhausted to figure out what they even meant. <laughs> Aren't we all though, right? Like, and so this is why I'm like, don't do this for every single number. Like sometimes we present like 20 different numbers. Usually you can pinpoint like, what's the one I want to dig into. Right. And so, yeah. And I think that for me, and this is before I figured out my ADHD, I love each number. Each time I got to a number, I felt like I accomplished something, but I wasn't really, all I was doing was accomplishing the baseline. So, um, so that fee, I'm, I'm literally sitting here going, oh, that would have been great feedback a long time ago. And it's even, I even hear it and it scares me because I'm like, oh, I could pull that number. Okay. But how do I figure out what that means? Because nobody taught me that part, right? Which mm -hmm. I think you're articulating is that. And so now I'm sitting here going, oh, now that's scary, uh, which is good. Like that's where I should be. That's where I should be scared. So um, super, super interesting. I think Scott's far more strategic. He's really good at seeing that other stuff. He doesn't like, he likes someone to bring him the numbers and then he's very good at finding someone who can get the numbers for him. And then he can create the strategy, which isn't bad. Like that's good leadership. Like I know that I, I know how to find the numbers. It's just not an effective use of my time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, and so that, that it's interesting. Like I see that in our relationship of things. Like even when we like look at the podcast, man, like I only like go crunch all these numbers and pull out this many downloads and that many of this. Scott's like, okay. Because. Yeah. I'm already like two, three steps ahead, knowing exactly how I'm going to use all this stuff and why it's necessary. Yes. And that's, that's a little bit of the difference. And, and I think that comes, some of it is maybe just your personality, but it comes with more experience in the particular seat. Richard was in that seat, what, one or two times? Yes. I was, I was in that seat five times, for example. Mm. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, anyway, well, I, I, I want to, I want to know more about something that you wrote about today, actually. Mm. And, and um, that's what I'm saying. I know you from your post. I saw this one today and I thought, oh, this is exactly what I mean when I say hire can do, not has done. Mm -hmm. Specifically in leadership. And, and people ask me this question all the time, like, how can we improve diversity in sales leadership? How do we get more women in sales leadership? And I say, stop trying to hire people who have done and hire people who can do. So you didn't phrase it that way, but my impression of your post today was it's very similar kind of wavelength. So can, can you elaborate on your thought today and if it's dissimilar or similar to mine? Yeah, like we're so aligned. I, I actually love that phrasing. Um, my post today was was around, you know, I think what I said is like, there's always going to be more white men qualified for that leadership role. So that was just to get people a little angry. So they'd read the rest, but we understand clickbait. <laughs> well done. Um, but it, it's like, there's a lot of truth to that, right? Because oftentimes, and, and there's a lot of data out there that shows that oftentimes we, we promote men based on potential and promote women only based on experience which puts women at a natural disadvantage, right? Because everyone has to give you that first shot. Yep. And I've experienced this firsthand where I've worked with companies where we wanted to get more women on the leadership team. And that's what I kept hearing. Like, we can't find women who are seasoned VPs. 
And I remember saying like, well, you know, what about this? What about this woman? Like, she seems great. And the response, well, she's only been a VP for like six months. And I don't think there's any like malintent around that. I think, I think it's, this is like so subconscious, right. Where it might feel a little riskier to, to hire a woman. And so people want to make sure there's that proven track record, but the challenge is, you know, lots of men and women are coming in at the entry level, but as you go up in a company, the leadership or sorry, the, the gender gap widens. So coming in entry level, oftentimes you'll even see like 50, 50, some companies you'll see more women coming in than men. And then all of these things happen on the way up. Right. So maybe there's an instance where a guy's promoted based on potential and a woman isn't. Maybe there's a situation where, and, and this, this is partly on women where a man is um, applying for a job where he doesn't meet all the criteria because he has the confidence to do it. And his female counterpart isn't because she, she's like, I only, you know, I only meet 70%. Um, and so all these little things happen on the way up. And what we see as a result is that that gender gap gets wider and wider and wider. And so then when it comes time to hire a VP, the pool of candidates is smaller. Like when people say, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to hire a female VP, but most of the candidates that are, that are being brought to me with this experience are men. I don't think they're lying. Like, I, I think that that's true. And so what I'm arguing is, okay that's where we are. We need to like make some shifts. We need to make some changes. And one of the things I talk about a lot is hiring a first time female VP, someone who's been at a director level, senior director level, whatever it might be, who has the skill set, who has the drive and just hasn't been given the opportunity yet. And so I would love, like, I talk about it a lot. I, I always hope that more, that more companies are going to you know, reach out to me and be like, yeah, we want to implement this. Let's get you involved. Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so, but I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's really important. And I, I really think that, you know, bigger change, like, you know, if we want to really make changes, we need to start even earlier, right? Like we need to be talking to, to folks and like at the internship level and early entry level and all the way up that's going to take years and years. And so I'd love to see some of this change happening now where we can even narrow that gap a little bit. Yeah. I want to, I want to address something that oh, might piss people off if they listen to this is that I don't think it's an unconscious bias at all. I think mm -hmm. it's super conscious. I think, you know, you know, you know, the first thing that popped in my head as I listened to that was I remember my mom telling me a story of this was in the seventies when she went to go back when she went to work. And, uh, and literally in the interview, her, her future boss said, so you've had two kids. You're not planning to have any more, are you? Oh, yeah. Like in the interview yeah. and over time, men have been told not to say those things. That doesn't mean they don't think them. Mm. I really, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's the same thing for the me too movement. You know, men are more conscious about what they say, but I don't think it's changed. Like, I, you know, I don't see it. I think in my, kids I see different like I was we were, my son and I were watching a movie get out last night and uh and uh you know it's about a, a white woman and, and an African-American guy dating and the African-Americans like does your do your parents know you know that I'm black and she's like no why would they care and Riley's like yeah why would they care and Riley's 14 so he's in his mentality and how he grew up is growing up it really is being taught there but 
I think in the current stage, I don't think that bias has gone away. I think it's still super conscious. And I think it's the same thing you saw politically. Like, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, what happened with the right side of the political movement. It's like all of a sudden they woke up and decided they were going to start talking yeah. about things they never did. It was just there. It was just buried for a long yeah. time. So, so I, I, I hate saying it. I, you know, particularly as, as a guy, I'm sure I still have my biases. I just don't, I don't, I don't, but I don't buy that bullshit. I don't, I don't buy that. Oh, it's unconscious bullshit. They know yeah. everybody. Knows. So, um, so, anyway, so, but it's, it's interesting to hear that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's super important. What are, you know, what do you think the things are that, a, and it's not a woman's fault. How, how do we encourage women to apply more and to feel more, you can't make them feel more comfortable, but want them to take that shot? Because I agree with you that, you know, the studies show that like, oftentimes women won't even apply because they don't think they check every criteria on the list. Whereas men are like, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, um, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you coach women specifically? Cause I, for those who are listening, I'd, I'd love for them to get that advice from you. Yeah. With a lot of the women I coach, we really dig into you know, what's holding them back or what's underneath the fear of doing X. And it usually comes down to limiting beliefs in all of us, like men and women, right? We all, we all carry these things. Yeah. Um, and coaching is, is really effective for that. So, you know, a lot of the women I coach, it's, it's really just about them tapping into what they already know, which is, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. I'm good at this. Right. And we often just get so caught up in, in like the fear around what people think or what we think they think that, you know, really lots of times it's just a matter of like resetting, just, just like getting out of our heads. And you could, that can be done through coaching. It can be done through breath work, can be done through journaling. It's like whatever you need to do to get out of your own head is always a good thing. It always, it's always good to gain that perspective. Because oftentimes, like I said, the women that I coach, when, when we dig deep enough, like they know that they're awesome, right? Like it's in there. They're just, you know, limiting beliefs, which, which are oftentimes um, caused by some external factor, like somewhere along the line, right? Someone told you you were stupid or girls can't do this or whatever it might be. Um, and you've like hung on to that thing. And so usually once we figure it out and unpack it, they're like, oh yeah, I guess this was like, this kid said this to me in grade six and I've been like carrying it around ever since. So oftentimes it's just that awareness that helps people sort of break through it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I think as soon as we say it out loud, we know, and it's been yeah. there and we've been saying it all this time. And um, I can't remember, Scott, somebody said it at surf and sales in November where, you know, our great, something along the lines of you know, our greatest success comes when we stop believing the lies we keep telling ourselves, right? Because we know we're lying to ourselves. We know it. We say it all the time, you know, like I, you know, I do it more than Scott does, I think, or at least I admit it more than Scott does, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it, that limiting belief stuff is, is, is really, really there. So appreciate that. So um Got to sort of start to move to, to wrapping it up, but we want to thank our sponsors but, and give you a second to think about what questions would you like to ask us. But uh, again, thank you to Sendoso and Scratchpad. 
and Outreach.io for supporting us and, and for everybody who did support us in 2023. We appreciate it. The uh, last episode of 2022, so we still have a couple more slots for May, Surf and Sales. Katie, you said earlier that you're super passionate about sales, and I was waiting for you to say you were super passionate about surfing too, but um, maybe you need to come along in May and, and pick that one up. It looks really fun. Like I, I've, I've like been sort of like enviously like peering at the pictures online and stuff. It looks pretty cool. So she's a, she's, she's a lurker. She's I'm only a surf and sales lurker <laughs> at the moment. Yes. So uh, I am. <laughs> it's, it's actually, I would say it's actually very cool. I think you would have a good time. Um, you know, I, I know people there would love having you there just based on your, your leadership because the, the crew that comes comes from all walks. And so there's just all these great bonding moments, right? Like imagine having a conversation like this two or three times a day with different people yeah. on a beach, sunset, sitting on a surfboard, sitting by the pool, like just sort of hanging out. So it's, it's a lot of this kind of stuff. So um, with that in mind, what, any questions for us, anything you'd like to ask us about? Yeah, I guess. So, I mean, you guys have both been sales leaders as well. I'm curious, either of you can answer this, but from your perspective, for women who are trying to move up, maybe who are starting in sales and want to move into leadership, what do you think that they can do to kind of, I don't know, set themselves apart or really like show that they're ready to move to the next level? Hmm. I think um, I think it falls on two things. I think I was a different style manager for the time because I would I was very open early about promoting from within. If that's something you want, the door is always open. Let's talk about it. And then I was conscious to try and bring it up in one on ones with every candidate, with everybody, whether it was the interview process or in their regular meetings. I'd be like, you know, you know, do you, you know, if this is something you want, you just gotta let me know. So I think one, it falls on leadership. So those who are leaders, you need to be just asking them, is this something you want? I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if, I don't know if I would recommend you yet because I don't know, but if it is something you want, let's talk about it and work on it. So, so for the leaders listening, that's my first suggestion. For women, um, I think it's being able to, there's some little things. I don't want it to sound manipulative. One, sit, right, raise your hand saying, hey, this is a goal of mine. Can you help me get there? Um, how can you help me get there? I think it's okay to say, I don't expect you to get me there, but if you've got some direction, I'll take it. I'll take some feedback. I also think it's, I say, again, I say it to everybody is volunteerism, volunteer for those things, uh, volunteer for like, you know, if you're hitting your number and you're doing your job, going into your boss and saying, Hey, I'm doing all this stuff. Is there some stuff I can help you with? And just letting them know that you want to try and do things, right? And good leaders will find stuff for you to do. So I think you have to be comfortable asking for it. I also think that if you're not comfortable asking for it, research it. That would be my first thing is like, go research what it means to take the next career move step and see what other people are saying, because you can get a lot of good advice from others that you know, maybe you're not ready to ask. Maybe you're not ready. You're maybe you're not comfortable asking. Well, if you're interested, go see how interested you are. Mm, I love that. I, I love the idea of like, put up your hand too, because yeah. yeah. You kind of got to, you know, you kind of got to do that. Otherwise 
I think this is where that bias comes in is that men will try to identify with the alpha male and think that they're the leadership person. Meanwhile, sometimes the, the person who's not the alpha is actually a better leader, right? Like we've all promoted the best salesperson and turned out they were horrible leaders, but mm -hmm. you, know, you can have some B and C salespeople who are just sort of like, they're always in the middle. They're never going to get kicked out, but they're never at the top, but maybe they have good leadership qualities kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, well, I'm going to answer this completely differently. Uh, <clears throat> when you sell Katie, it's important to know your ideal customer profile and sell into your ideal customer profile. Is it not? It is. Okay. You asked what women and people could do better. Identify your ideal customer profile, meaning identify leaders and organizations who already have a history and a track record of doing this. Part of the mistake people make is they don't pay attention to that and they end up in a situation where now they have to think about all this minutia and like bullshit. No offense, Richard, that Richard was just talking about. Like raise your hand, speak up, do all that stuff. If you fucking found the right leader in the right place in the first place, you wouldn't have to worry about all that shit. I have a massive coaching tree of female sales leaders that started with me as reps that are now VPs of sales and VPs of sales ops and CEOs and all this kind of stuff. So I had women who would apply at my organizations who would specifically say, I want to come work with you because I've seen what you did with Paige and Colby and JM and Claire and all these different names. That's where everybody gets it wrong to me identify the right leader who's already doing these things and you have a much better chance of getting an outcome that you want and i don't think people talk about that enough for whatever reason but i think that's a massive error in judgment but do you think that information is actually quote unquote available right like 100 public right well, it requires effort. And if you're not going to put forth that level of effort, effort, then I'm not going to fucking promote you into VP leadership anyways. You mean you mean going back to what I said is you got to do a little bit of research and some of that minutiae you don't like? Yes, but I'm talking about doing it before I go there. You're talking mm -hmm. about doing the research when it's potentially too late. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Got it. I just you like can go that. look right now at the places that I've been and then... I, I, you can look at some of the employees who were there and it wouldn't be that hard to figure out, oh, this person worked with Scott at this place and now they're in this role, all that kind of stuff. So now you're identifying the right leader in the right company. That person has a track record of doing this. Then go talk to those people. Go talk to all these ladies and all these people that have been promoted and be like, hey, did Scott or whatever the sales leader's name is play any part in helping you get to this place? What was it like? What did they do? Da, 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 da. You can vet all that shit before you go work someplace. What are you going to do? Say yes to the job, then get in there and then ask those questions. You're fucked at that point in time. It's too late. It's like, it's interesting because when I was, um, when I was a director, I was trying to get promoted to VP and I was like, I was, I joked that I like was banging my head against the wall for, eight and a half years. And I was like, so, so I came in as a manager 
I was able to get promoted to a director. And then that's where that was my ceiling at that company. But I do, I agree with you that, especially with the way LinkedIn is now, there's a lot more information available. Like this was a while ago. It's never been easier than right now. There is, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot, even like, and I think back, like, you know, in that time of my life, I probably could have found a female mentor on LinkedIn. Like I just, at that, like, well, I sent a cold email to Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> she never wrote me back. <laughs> Cheryl, if you're listening. You shot your shot though. Yeah, I tried, you know, but, but, but it's true. Now there, there is a lot more resource in terms of like people and visibility of female leaders. Like someone who is trying to make their way through their career and wants to move into leadership. I love that. They, they can go on, people reach out to me all the time. Like you can go on LinkedIn and you can find a lot of people that can potentially give you some guidance and direction. Well, the good news is I went to summer camp with Cheryl Sandberg for many years. Did uh, you? Yeah. And <laughs> Pullman Spirit, uh, she still won't respond to me, so that's okay too. So. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I thought you could maybe reach out to her and let her know that like, it's okay, I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but I like that initiative. There is, I also think the one thing I, it's interesting you did it once to somebody, right? What if you just sent that same message to a hundred women in leadership? Mm. What might've happened? And I think that's a, to Scott's point, right? Like, and to your point of like, oh, you know, try not to get on the one, try to get to a hundred and see what happens, right? Yeah. You know, because yeah. all you need is one to respond. You know, if 20 of them respond, you're like, well, shit, now what do I do? <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, well, well, thank you very much. Uh, this has been super fun, Katie. And it's good to get to know you in person now um you know instead of just online so it's, it's been a it's been a real pleasure thank you for joining us thanks so much for having me this was really fun all right everybody thanks for a great 2022 we'll see you in 23 and be sure to come to surf and sales in may yes we'll be doing it again in november but we're going for may right now see everybody <laughs>